This is UMCSEE Ministry on the Cutting Edge, a podcast of the Susquehanna Conference of the United Methodist Church. Each podcast features leaders from around our annual conference and the wider connection sharing innovative and inspiring ideas for ministry on the cutting edge, ideas worth sharing. And I'm Gary Shockley. I'm the director of Equipping Vital Congregations. And on this podcast, we're talking about how we lead with established values, especially during this liminal time, easing back into being gathered uh, active congregations. And I'm Kim Shockley, the coordinator for Pathways of Spiritual Transformational Leadership. We've heard a lot about values-based leadership in the past uh, years, really. And one of the best resources I've found for helping churches define values comes from Patrick Lencioni's book called The Advantage. And he talks about how we develop clarity for our work and um, particularly lays out how he defines values in very specific ways. He talks about three different kinds of values that become important to us as local congregations. One are the core values. These are behaviors and actions and attitudes that have been a part of a congregation for a long time. And when we sit down and talk about the things that go beyond the decisions we make, or behind the decisions we make, that's where our core values become evident. Uh, He also talks about accidental values. And these are the negative attitudes that sometimes pop up in a group of people that for one reason or another were not challenged or stamped out. Nobody said, oh, we don't behave that way here. (laughs) Um, And so things like gossip and bullying and stuff like that just thrives in a situation where there's no accountability. And Lencioni calls these accidental values. And then finally, he talks about aspirational values. And these are really the kind of the crux of what we want to talk about today. How do we define aspirational values that will help us to get where we want to go? will help us to live into our vision and to ha- and to be the kind of church that we really want to be. Um, and so that's, that's why we invited both uh, Jan and Daniel to be with us today. And um, Gary, why don't you introduce our guests? Well, and I was going to say too, Kim, it sounds like we're going to have a very valuable conversation. Of course. <laughs> yeah, we have two guests on our podcast and they're giving me a thumbs down sign. They don't like my humor. <laughs> But they're going to have to get used to it. We have two pastors who are notorious for helping their congregations lead uh, with stated values uh, as a way of grounding the work that they're doing together. Reverend Jan Hughes from Aldersgate United Methodist Church in Mechanicsburg is here. I want to say hi, Jan. Hi, Gary. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And Reverend Daniel Wilt from St. Paul United Methodist Church in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Hello. Hello. Hi, Daniel. Welcome to you both to our podcast. And we need to acknowledge, too, that uh, there are persons outside the state of Pennsylvania who will be listening in on our podcast and already have been. So we are broadcasting from the Susquehanna Conference of the United Methodist Church in central Pennsylvania area and beyond. So we want to start our conversation with the why. Why has leading with values been important to you and your congregation, especially during these COVID-19 days? Um, Jan, we're going to invite you to share your thoughts on that first. Why? Why values? 
Great. Well, I remember Mike Tyson saying that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> and so COVID-19 has punched us in the face, hasn't it? I mean, it has been a huge punch in the face. So um, what I have found through COVID-19 and then through my experience as a leader in a church is that um, if we don't lead with values, then other behaviors are going to pop up. And so um, what I also know as a trained counselor is when someone comes under stress, real behaviors seem to surface. So we see that with COVID-19, don't we? We see um, behaviors that we're not so proud of but we revert back to uh, sometimes our known knee jerks. If values are not in place, if we don't have personal values, if we don't have institutional values, then we sometimes just run amok. So one of the things that uh, Gary was really important for me when I first started in ministry and when I started serving churches was to determine my own personal values because I, I'm just a believer that I cannot lead the church until my values uh, are, are really discerned and that I really lead from the center of my own values. And so that was a practice that uh, took me some time and energy, some thoughtfulness, some discernment, uh, lots of prayer uh, to find out, so what what are my values? What What is it that was so important for me. Uh, one of my values is to lead from the soul, is to lead from the center and to allow God have sway uh, in my decisions, in my thought processes, in things that are, are just so important uh, to me in ministry. Another of my values that I discerned uh, was relational, is to have um, integrity of relationships with people and, and to be um, you know, to be kind, but to also be truthful. Uh, and so these values start to shape me uh, as a leader. And honestly, I think that a leader's values also shapes a church. I know sometimes we want to separate them. We want to say that, you know, we have church values and then sure, the leader can have values, but they're not the same. But I disagree. I believe strongly that a leader's values does shape the church. So. So goes the leader, so goes the body. Um, leading with values just gives us a, a sense of what, what's important to us. Uh, sometimes we have to look back in our past to say, you know, how, how have we been shaped? What are our traditions that have created values? And then sometimes we have to look at, uh, as Kim referred to, kind of those accidental values. We have to look at what's our reality? What are some of the things that we don't want to see or to know about ourselves. Um, I think COVID-19 has given us this gift of honesty right now. Uh, as we have been pushed outside the walls of the church, every, I think every person who calls themselves a member of a church has to ask themselves during COVID-19, what's important? And what is church? Like we've had to redefine what is necessary for us to call this church? What's necessary for us to call this worship? What's necessary for us to call this relational body of Christ that we're living into? They're all values that I think help us uh, to both affirm who we have been, who we are, but then most importantly during COVID-19, where we're going. So one of the questions that uh, staff and our leadership have asked here at Aldersgate is, who do we need to be? You know, who have we been? Who are we? 
But then the critical question during COVID-19 has been, who do we need to be? And those values are going to shape our actions. What I like about what you're saying, and I think it, it sets a foundation for this conversation, is that values, behaviors come out of our values. Um, and if we're, if we're expecting our churches to identify and lead out of values, then it has to first be embraced and modeled by the leader. Leaders always go first. And to expect that a church is going to do that without the leader coming to that sense. And I love that in terms of identifying my own personal values. You know, who am I? Why do I exist? You know, what do I value most? Guiding my own behaviors. Right. Uh, it's going to be a very, a very uh, long road to hoe, as, as my grandfather used to say, a very long road to hoe to expect a church to do that, unless it's the leader, I'm there first. Sure. And my values may not always align perfectly with the church that I serve. I would not, I would not ask any pastor to expect that those values would align, but they ought to be pretty close. Mm-hmm. that a leader can can lead a church with common values, at least common values. There are some pastors who have a deep value of, of missional work, and they might be in a church that doesn't share that value. They can coexist, and they can, they can be in ministry quite nicely. But our values need to be pretty close in order for us to be effective as leaders and as a church. Mm-hmm. Jan, one of the things I learned about my own values uh, years ago was that I like to be right. And what I learned, (laughs) my husband's shaking his head. What I learned in that is sometimes even a a value can have negative parts to it. Um, And I had to learn in that desire to be right, the way that I pursued that that it was respectful and careful of the people around me. And, and I learned to brace that rightness with a sense of uh, justice and mercy in mm. the way that I lived it out. Yeah, um, that's a good word, Kim. I think that um, it really speaks to a self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Us are going to have those accidental values. We all have baggage as leaders and as churches. We all have history uh, that we would like to erase, but it's just part of our DNA. I think that self-awareness in discerning our values, both personal and institutional, is just so critical. It doesn't mean that we fall under judgment. It means that we're honest. So I served a church uh, that when I went to them and I said, you're such a lovely, wonderful family, uh, just a kind church. And what they said is, uh, Jan, we've not always been that way. We always didn't value this. And the honesty, the self-awareness for them to be able to say, this is who we were once upon a time. And then I asked them what things changed, what things shaped a different value. Were you intentional about it? Was it shaped by a leader? Was it shaped by outward circumstances? Because I think that's really important as our values tend to change and morph into something new or something different that we understand what what are those components that shape that because values give meaning. Mm-hmm. Values give meaning. And the other thing that values, when they're clear and discernible, is values allow us to move beyond the mediocre. They allow us to, to move beyond what we think is possible into just the, the new thing that God might be breathing. And that's so exciting when we give values breath to do that. But it begins with this, like you said, Kim, it begins with this real self-awareness and this honesty. I would just hope that the churches could uh, just be so honest about themselves 
and know that it's okay. You know, we can name our warts, uh, but we also have these aspirational values that we can work towards. Right. Right. Thank you awesome. for your, your awesome getting us started attitude there. <laughs> so Daniel, let's, let's shift over to St. Paul for a bit. Uh, when I was getting ready for this event, I, uh, poked around on the websites to see what was going on. And I found that you had a stated vision statement and some values attributed to that that are stated right on your website. Can you tell us a little bit about how that was developed? Yeah, so um, I came to St. Paul's in July of 2017, and and they had a, a clear mission, clear vision statement, clear set of core values. And and. Throughout the year, we we talked and we prayed and we we continued to see if the if this is still where where we are and in, in, in St. Paul's history because I think, you know, it's important to revisit your mission and your vision and your core values, yeah. especially as your population changes. As and here in Lewisburg, you know, we're a college town sandwiched between Geisinger Hospital and Evangelical Community Hospital, so we have a high revolutionary population that um. We're just not the same people um, over long seasons of time. You know, you have a core group of people um, that kind of holds down the fort, but then you always see these changes. And one of the changes that came to St. Paul's was me. Um, and and I, I'm a bit of a bulldozer uh, for Pennsylvania Dutch people because I was raised by Italian women. Um, uh, and so Pennsylvania Dutch people don't really always know how to handle that because I, I lead from the heart and I speak very passionately and I use my hands and it's hard for me because I look insane when I see myself in a camera moving my hands. And so... Um, so what we did is, you know, for the first year, we just really prayed and we talked about, are these the core values that we still envision for ourselves? And we did that around the leadership team, um, which is, you know, the simplified accountable structure that we have. Um, and so in that, uh, we got to this place to where we feel like we were in a changing, uh, you know, we, in that first year, we had an influx of 30 new people who who came through the church. Um, and, and, you know, for a church that was worshiping 50 people to see 30 new people come, you know. We've changed drastically um, and we need to see, you know, how we've shifted. Now, if you look at our, our core values and so like the six core values that we have are we are Christ centered. We are a loving community. We are rooted in prayer. We believe in inclusive hospitality. We are growing into leaders and we we strive for obedient anticipation. A lot of those are were shaped by previous core values, whether that was the core values we had just before or the core values of, you know, pastors that have come before who have walked churches through a visioning and core value process. Um, but we wanted to give it new language for a new season and a new time and, and tweak it a little bit just for for where we were. So the leadership team, which was largely made up of people who were there for the first time, uh, for the first round of core values and visioning, they said, we don't think we would be the greatest group to try and revision right now. Um, and so what they did is they commissioned the church um, to create a short-term team uh, that would meet together and just to pray and to focus on what is our vision, where are we going as St. Paul's, and basically lay out not just your vision, your mission, your core values, but also frame a ministry plan that went along with it. 
Um, and so what we did was this team of, uh, there was nine of us, uh, some were from the board, some were, you know, long-term church members, some were new-term church members. They either served in leadership and we also made it a priority to have, uh, we, they called themselves the, uh, Joe Schmoes. Um, they were the people who weren't in leadership. They were, they weren't leading a ministry. They showed up on Sunday, participated in the ministry. Um, but they very much are part of who we are uh, as a church. And so we sat down and, and over the period of 12 weeks, we just prayed and walked through this plan. And, and at the end, when it was all said and finished, we, we prayed and we said, are we really good with this? Um, do we believe this is, if, if this is where God is calling us, not only into the future, but who we are right now? Because I believe so much your values have to be reflective of where you are. Um, so then we released it to the, we released it to the leadership team. And we said, this is what we came up with. They, they, tweaked a few little things, um, usually just a nitpicky grammar issue here or there that we didn't notice. Um, and then we launched it literally six weeks before COVID-19. Uh, um, and so it's just been this very interesting process of, of living into not really a new set of core values, but a unique set of core values that reflects where we've been and where we want to go. But so the core values, so the <laughs> the timing of things is just amazing in terms of, mm. yeah, we developed all this and then COVID-19. I hear that all the time. <laughs> we were talking about online worship and wrestling with it. Nobody wanted to do it. And then COVID-19. Yeah. It's like um, there's a lot of permission that comes with COVID-19 to innovate and all that. Was, Absolutely. Was the, was the transition from that time of discerning these values, you find those values to be really holding up in this new world that we're entering? Yeah. And, and I think it's given us the ability because like on there, we are, we have not defined ourselves by a building. We have not defined ourselves by our programs. We have not defined ourselves by anything the church is typically known for, um, you know, on paper, we we're defining ourselves by who we are as a, as a congregation in being Christ-centered, loving community, rooted in prayer, inclusive hospitality, growing into leaders and obedient anticipation doesn't need in-person worship gatherings to make that make that a reality. And so, and, and, you know, Jan, as she was talking at the beginning, uh, you know, the, the language we've kind of talked about in this is, you know, we don't want to be dictated by our feelings um, because uh, Eugene Peterson in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, you know, talks about how deceptive feelings are mm -hmm. um, and that when we operate out of a place of feeling, um, we're going to walk down a very scary path that leads to destruction. And, and what I think, Jan was saying, and what uh, you know, I, I would echo is that these core values are reminding us that we're, you know, wherever we are right now, we can be the people of St. Paul's without being able to be gathered together right now. It's exciting. So what I hear you saying in in your story here is that this congregation has had some sense of their core values for quite some time. Do yeah. you? Do you find that that helps them to behave well together? Yeah, I, for me, absolutely. I think St. Paul's is a very, and I know every pastor talks about their church, like it's, you know, the apple of their eye. Um, and, and that's great. Uh, they should uh, do that. St. Paul's is like this beautiful, unique, you know, conglomeration of people to where we have 
ardent conservatives and ardent progressives who, you know, Sunday after Sunday, and, and there's a Sunday school that I literally call a hot mess of just a group of people <laughs> because they don't have really a plan uh, when they meet. They come in, they talk literally about what's happening in life. And, and, and to any other person, like these political debates that come into the church, most pastors would like fear, we're going to split, we're going to do this. This group of people, they'll fight and they'll debate over what's happening in the world. They'll pray over each other. They'll leave, stay in touch and come back and do it again next week. And, and so like for me, just to be able, and, and I, I'm sure all of us would echo the hardest thing about the season, um, not just this season, but like, it seems like it's just been growing and growing is the division that we see in our world and how heartbreaking it is. And it's truly life-giving to be able to serve with a group of people who they're not letting those divisions get to them. Um, you know, truly, do we sometimes fail? Absolutely. Do we sometimes let our feelings get the best of us? Tr yes. Uh, and I'm often the guilty party who needs to like, okay, I have to walk out of the room. I'm getting too passionate. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just really, really grateful um, that they are leading out of this. We are a community that loves one another, and we need to remember that despite our words. Um, yeah. Well, I love the, the sixth one here, obedient anticipation. And I, my sense immediately when, when I saw that was, wow, for such a time as this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's actually the one that's provided us the most joy in this season yes. um, because, you know, this understanding of, you know, are we anticipating God to use us, you know, for such a time as this, but also in the everyday of when you go to the grocery store, when you show up at work, when you, you know, are planning a vacation, are you expecting God to use you in that moment? And if you are, if you're anticipating that, are you going to be obedient to it? Um, and so like the example I always give, uh, when I preach about it and talk about it is, you know, when you're in the grocery store and you see that mother who is struggling with her children, mm -hmm. um, trying to fill a grocery cart, little kids are running around and your heart is just breaking for her. Do you stop and give her a kind word? And, and do you do that? Are you going to obey that? Or what we'd like to do in, in, you know, central Pennsylvania is, do we just put on a curt smile, zoom on by, or even avoid the aisle altogether? Like, are you anticipating God to use you when you go grocery shopping? And then are you going to show up um, to do what God is leading you to do? Um, yeah. Like so that. we've, yeah, we've just seen a pouring of, of stories since we've started to lay that foundation more and more of just, I never knew that, you know, smiling and thanking the cashier would mean so much to them. Um, yeah. Yeah. So stepping, stepping out of our own comfort zones at times and with intentionality, because um, I find you know, I can very easily blow in and out of stores because I don't want to spend any more time in the grocery store than I need to. Yeah. And there's a curtness, you know, to that, even to people around, I don't even want to say hi because I'm afraid, you know, I feel like I'm violating space. Mm -hmm. But but when there's intentionality out of, out of a value system I hold that I'm going to be kind and I'm going to make eye contact uh, and I'm going to express kindness. Uh, if I don't, if I'm not intentional about it, it doesn't happen. I have to almost do the self-talk before I go in the grocery store. <laughs> Today, you are going to be a very kind and caring individual to the people around you. you know? it's like, and that's okay. I mean, unapologetically, at least I have that conversation that's, that's with myself. That goes back to what Jan said about self-awareness. It does. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. I'll tell you, Gary and Daniel, you just speak such a good word. Um, there's there's a... a a phrase that I have up in my office and it says this, if it's not hard, then it's not community. Mm -hmm. 
Really? You just you just spoke into that um, for me that you know that intentional obedience that anticipation. Um, we have to expect that when we live out our values, it is not always going to be easy. Uh, sometimes it's going to be really difficult, and we're really going to have to be both self aware. But we're, sometimes we're going to have to put our big girl pants on and just do what God is asking us to do, whether we want to or not. Uh, that's that's where I think values have such power. Right. Lived out in our community. It's just yeah. amazing to see what God can do. For me, it was like the power of what you just said is, and again, it, the, the language we've been using so much is feelings is like, uh, for all of these, like, I don't feel like praying right now. That's okay. You don't feel like it. Pray anyways. Uh, um, like, I don't feel like coming to worship. That's okay. Go to worship uh, wherever that is right now, whatever that looks like for you. Um, you know, it, it's not always about, you know, what's easiest for us. It, it's about it is about pushing ourselves, not so that we can live into some model that, you know, institutions have set up for us, but rather so that we can be receiving the goodness that God has for us. Um, but also being that answer to someone else's prayer, I think, is, you know, important in this. Yeah. Daniel Richard Rohr um, spoke to me the other day. I read a lot of Richard Rohr's work and he said, we need to decide if we are going to be embarking on a survival dance or a sacred dance. Mm. That really is a question for us during COVID-19. Many, you know, we see lots of lots of examples of people who they're surviving. It's me first. That's their value. Uh, they're hoarding the toilet paper and, and all other such things. Uh, but I think that uh, the blessing, just the, the value that we could really exemplify is this sacred dance that God has called us to, especially during COVID-19. Um, my prayer is that we are never the same again. Right. Never go back, um, that we're pushed in our values uh, to what do we need to be, uh, that we're pushed towards those aspirational values. I'm not sure that the Western church has ever been pushed. Right. No. Mm-hmm. At the time is, as we are now. Yeah. Uh, this this is, is, fear is, is that we'll waste it. You know, we'll yeah. gather again and we'll go back to the old and we'll leave the aspirational values. We'll leave the hard, hard work. Mm. What is it that we need to be in postmodern Christendom? And we'll just be content to live out our selfish values that we've had for years. Right. This is this yeah. is such an important issue for the church today. And generally, I don't think local churches ever really take the time uh, to, to define values or to understand how they're connected to behaviors. And we we particularly chose this topic now because we have to get ahead of this now. This is the work for coming back together again, Um, because we have to realize that we are not going to be the same church. And if we don't talk about our values moving forward, we're going to miss the opportunity to be the church that God can use. Yeah, and, you know, exactly. And I think, you know, just in this conversation, it occurred to me that if, if my listing of values is simply a list of things I find easy to do or things that I'm comfortable with, I'm probably not working at my values. Yeah. And, and our values really do, our behavior be, betrays our values. Jan, like you said, if, if it's about getting back to church the way it was, that betrays values of comfort. Convenience. Um, 
maybe a sense of apathy, mm-hmm. a sense of isolationism, a lack of evangelistic fervor. I mean, there's a whole list of things that go into, I just want it to be the way it was. But it also speaks in terms from a personal level of shelter and safety. And, and I get that too. You know, there's a part of me that wants to go back to the place where I felt like I was on firm ground. The, the day was knowable. The routine was predictable. You know, I had a predictable routine. I knew when I woke up the next morning that I wasn't going to be looking at a newscast where everything was horrible. <laughs> Most of it would be, but not like this. So, you know, there, there's just this whole value kind of competition that's going on in us. And as Daniel pointed out, I think the real work of our Christian discipleship is to wrestle with what are the values of Jesus? Right. Um, and if I am to grow to be like him, and discipleship is about becoming like Jesus, then what are the values of Jesus? And how do I begin to appropriate those in my own life and, and fashion my life around them as painful and as challenging as that can be? Absolutely, Gary. That's a good word. We, um, so we had to really test our values because it's easy to put values on paper. I mean, we've been asked to do mission statements, vision statements, and values, and then we put them up on the shelf and we, then we behave as normal. Yeah. But COVID-19 um, really allowed me to ask something that I ask uh, when I deal with couples in therapy, and that is when, when two people come in and they're in stress, their relationship is in stress, I usually ask them, especially because I get to see them when they say we're done, you know, we're ready for a divorce, we just need you to put a blessing on it. And so what I ask them is, what are the non-negotiables? Like, what are the things that are absolutely non-negotiable? you need in this relationship in order to be a couple in order to have a friendship these are things that you just can't bend what are the non-negotiables so I was able to bring that practice of of really values and practicality to start asking our leadership and our staff during COVID-19 as we uh, you know as we are out and we're scattered and then we look at perhaps coming back and gathering what are the non-negotiables as we come back And we came up with two and we thought they were good until they hit the ground and they had feet. And those two non-negotiables for us was it needs to be safe and it needs to be inclusive. Now, at first brush, they sound like noble values. Great. Try those values on in the reality of where we are, because safe means Someone's going to have to sacrifice. Inclusive means someone else is going to have to wait. Mm. But Mm. they really became the values that we realized we've always had these values. Mm. These aren't new values. They're just taking on new meaning. But they've been ancient 30-year-old values. We're a church plant. So it was about being inclusive. And it was about finding a safe place to be in the body of Christ. So we've revisited those values, but again, it's not hard. It's hard. It's not community. We are in for a value shakeup in our church as we regather. And, and I just put a, a word, a challenge out there to any pastors or churches that would be listening, um, that I just pray that we ante up. I just pray that, that we really are the Acts Church to go out into all the nations, to the ends of the world, that we say we are not leaving anyone behind, that as we come back to gather, it is not about what suits us. It is about the other. It's about what is best for the other. Mm. That's going to hurt. 
that's going to hurt. You know, we're a large church. We are not going to be able to come back the second week in the green phase. You know, it's complicated. It's complicated for all of us in many different ways. But I think that this is where the the values really speak, that our main thing remains our main thing. And and I think if churches could just find, like, what's the main thing? Give me one or two non-negotiables in this process of being scattered and then coming back and being gathered. What are those non-negotiables and can you not bend? Now, that means a whole lot of communication, a whole lot of love, a whole lot of grace, but just not bending on this. And this is why. And always the communication of the why is so critically important. Absolutely. No, that's good stuff. Well, for those of you who may be joining mid-course mid, mid or your, the link that you found started halfway through the podcast, um, <laughs> I do want to say that this is, this is Gary Shockley, and I'm joined by Kim Shockley. We are staff persons of the Susquehanna Conference of the United Methodist Church. And we are having a delightful conversation with Reverend Jan Hughes and Reverend Daniel Wilt, who are both uh, exceptional practitioners of leading with values individually as, as their own Christian selves, but also within their local church context. Um, and we've already begun moving in, in the direction of this. We're living in unprecedented times. All of us would agree with that. I've not found one person who would say, I don't know that I agree with that. <laughs> the, whole, the whole world is turned upside down and every one of us has been affected by it. And now that Governor Tom Wolf here in, in um, Pennsylvania is moving cautiously to open up Pennsylvania as a state, uh, our churches are faced with some interesting challenges. Uh, right now we have um, many of our counties are now in the yellow zone, which is easing up some of the restrictions they've been under. Uh, many of our counties remain in the red zone, but want to be in the yellow zone. And some have actually, you know, tried to uh, push back on the governor's office. We'll see how that works out. But these challenges reflect on what we're learning during this time apart. Um, what might be important to us as we gather back together again as a church? And we should never think that somehow this has caused the church to stop or to close. I actually looked at a website before this because um, I was trying to find somebody back in North Carolina, and I couldn't believe on their website, they had a big sign that says, sorry, we're closed. Oh, no. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I need to write to somebody to remind <laughs> them, your church has not closed. <laughs> and if it has, then you really need to go back and look at your values. <laughs> so in your experience, Jan mm-hmm. and Daniel, how will the values of your congregation be a part of your uh, regathering in terms of the traditional sense back into a space for worship or Sunday school or those other ministries. How are your values going to impact how you do that and how you move into the future? Jan? I'll, I'll go first, um, but I wanted to reflect on your last statement. Uh, J.R. Briggs uh, had a wonderful joke that he shared with us on the Fresh Expressions uh, Academy. And he said that uh, when COVID-19 started, Satan went up to God and said, see, I won. I closed your churches. And God said, no, you didn't. I opened up one in every home. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? I love that. That's exactly what is happening. Yeah. Yeah. So um, for us, we are a church plant. We're a 30-year church plant. And so um, we had, again, uh, you have said this before. I just truly believe that God goes before us. And so we had just embarked on a three-year vision called the Neighboring Network because we felt strongly that because we were a church plant, 
uh, we had lost our first call of love on our lives from Christ. Uh, this church started out in uh, a home, and it's a home that I'm living in right now. Uh, they gathered in my living room in a circle, and they prayed. And can I tell you that when I go in my living room, it is sacred space. Mm -hmm. I just you, you can just feel it. I've had people come into my house who uh, don't know anything about it being a church plant, and they'll say, I just get a real sense of peace and joy in this house. And I know that that's, that's a spiritual DNA. It's just coming forth uh, to greet them. And so because we are a church plan and we started in homes, we realized that we needed to return to our values and our DNA and really become a network church of house churches. Um, and so three-year plan, the first year was going to go to house to house. Second year was going to go street to street. Third year was going to go neighborhood to neighborhood. Well, COVID-19 pushed us right in the third year. <laughs> <laughs> Completely, you know, gone is the first year, gone is the second year. We're in the third year. And so um, during COVID-19, we are um, starting up, we call it Aldersgate at Home, and we're starting up house churches. Uh, and, and the why is because people need to connect, but we realize that we have not been faithful. And so we want to return to our first love of a church plant and start planting churches. And so um, this was done in an act of absolute obedience and faith. Uh, I rolled it out last Sunday. And this past Sunday, we had seven house churches up and running. Cool. When this before you, there is nothing. There is nothing impossible. So um, we have just feel like we've been given a chance uh, to really live out our DNA, live out our values um, to be that main priority. What we're hoping is that when COVID-19 is over and we get the green light, that we are now both a gathered and a scattered church. And our house churches, because our culture, there's so many people who can't come to church on a Sunday. Uh, you know, our culture competes. And we have always as a church, and this is my, my bias, but we've always said, well, that's just awful that those sports compete. And I guess my thinking is, why don't we cooperate? Yeah. <laughs> why, must, why must they cave? Why can't we cooperate? And house church is a wonderful way in which we can cooperate and actually be a witness of grace and love uh, and, and get our story out there so that we can be both gathered and scattered. So, um, you know, how is it going to move us into the future? Only God knows. I'm just real excited uh, that God has allowed us to partner uh, with God's plan and to um, to see the goodness that might come out of such a tragic event. Well, it sounds like it sounds like the Spirit kind of kicked you into the future. Anyway, you were you were planning your own <laughs> phased kind of movement, and the Holy Spirit said, "Yeah, not so much. Let's just do it now." <laughs> Turbo burst. <laughs> How cool is that, Daniel? What about you? Uh, yeah, so we we are one of the counties that moved to the yellow, um, and you would have thought like we all won the lottery because um, <laughs> everybody thought like yellow was going to be this magical phase that everything's going to go back to normal. And, and and you know that's the fear of you know how many times have we heard a, a a talking head on TV that says there's no going back to normal? There absolutely mm -hmm. is a going back to normal. I don't think we should do it. Um, like that's not what's best for us. Um, instead, it, it's this, you know, kind of pioneering and moving forward. And so one of our core values is growing into leaders. So this last Sunday was our first yellow Sunday um, here in uh, Union County. And, and we did church 
just how we've been doing it since the COVID-19 started. We, we did online participating in, in, you know, our individual homes during this time. Uh, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of churches in this area that met um, and, and they did not follow guidelines. They did not, you know, follow restrictions. And so, you know, kind of echoing, you know, what Jan was talking about with their churches, like this idea of being safe and inclusive. Um, you know, I that was one of the reasons we opted to not open in the yellow phase, um, because specifically, if we're limited to 25 people, what do you do whenever you've hit that number and you have a guest coming up the steps like, I don't want to turn people away because in that one moment where they drove to come to a church gathering and we say no, um, are they going to wait two hours? And, and, and realistically, two hours is an optimum. Like that that's giving yourself too much credit because you're trying to do a worship service, turn around, clean, and then open it back up for more people. There's no way um, we would be able to do that. And we're a small church. Like we worship under 100 on a Sunday um, to be able to have 25 people you already have to cut that number down because you have the pastor, you have the musician, you have, you know, the sound people. Um, and so really you're trying to fit 20 people in, in, in a rotation. And then what new people we've been reaching through this, if they try and gather with us, you know, we were looking at potentially five to eight services just to have everybody in worship. It was exhausting. And so kind of like, uh, and hopefully this gives hope to the, you know, the small churches is like, you know, we hear from large churches about the, the great plans they're doing. You're like, oh, that's awesome. They're doing it. Someday when we get big enough, we'll be able to do that. Uh, in June, we're launching our, our house church network as well uh, to where people will be meeting in their homes if they feel safe, if they feel, you know, again, if you don't, if you still want that isolation, if you want to be as distant as you can be in that time, we're still going to stream our services. We're still going to have, you know, the resources we've been providing for you um, and to still be able to have that, you know, loving community that we have. Um, we, we do Zoom fellowship after church every Sunday. So the house churches, we know will lose some people because they're going to be doing fellowship in their house. But for those who don't have it, we're still going to have, you know, fellowship. And so kind of like, you know, we talk about whenever COVID-19 is over, Jane uses the gathered and scattered, uh, like, we're operating in a gathered and scattered kind of momentum now and leading into this. And, and I think um, I, I was, uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a good student. I listened to the first episode of this podcast before we, just so that I could make sure that I understood the flow and the, the ebbs of it. And you, uh, Gary, you quoted Phyllis Tickle, um, who, you know, this 500 year revolution. And I preached on that last year about, you know, Martin Luther 500 years ago was, you know, knocking on, on the church doors. Like, this is our knock. This is our wake up call. And, and it's sad that really the knock was coming 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whenever Christendom, you know, Christianity being the powerhouse was dying. Uh, and we said, no, 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 we can maintain, we can maintain. And now it's like, no, you can't. Um, and yep. so for us, we're not operating out of, again, not operating out of our feelings. Do, do I want to gather back together and, and to be able to hold that, uh, hold each other and, and, and tell everybody it's going to be okay. Absolutely. But I knew the second I saw Frank and June Heinish, an older couple in our church, walk up that ramp. I was going to rip my mask off and hug them. And then I violated, you know, the sacred trust that we have of caring for our, our congregations. Um, and so, like, right now, our values are leading us in, in the decisions we make, uh, but also leading us to, to, to think 
not just what is June going to do, what's the yellow phase, but what's green going to look like? And what's what's really, whenever we stop talking about color-coded things, what's that life going to look like? Um, and, and that's just been truly an amazing experience because for so long, small churches and, and larger churches too fall into this. We become managers um, and, and we talk about wanting to be leaders and want to be pioneers. Um, and COVID has, has told us we have to. Uh, like you don't get the option to manage anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to lead. Um, or go back to what you were doing before this. Um, and and I don't, it kind of goes back to that, you know, blacksmiths had the option to either convert and become mechanics and, and work in cars, or they could stay blacksmiths. And a lot of blacksmiths did not survive um, um, that transition. And so I'm hoping, uh, not because I want St. Paul's to survive, but because I want the, the core values of who we are as St. Paul's um, to continue on. And that doesn't need our church building or, or us all gathering as one community, but that we can be connected um, through God's power in this time. Yeah. Boy, you, you, you said something that, that I caught as it was flying by. <laughs> um, and I think it's probably a good topic for another podcast. We do not have time to unpack all this, but I think it's, it's huge, Daniel, the sense of, the, the role of pastor in the local church shifting from manager to leader is huge because as you said that the image I had was, and I've been a pastor most of my, you know, 40 years of ministry or 40 plus years of ministry. I've been in a church and a lot of that was, how do I manage this thing? Right. To keep it going, to keep it funded, to keep people coming, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's kind of like almost like managing in a background of things. Yeah. What all of the clergy persons, pastors that I'm aware of as I'm conversing with in COVID-19 have all been thrust to the foreground. Everyone. And not everybody is comfortable with that. In fact, it's it's terrifying to many because we weren't trained for this. Nobody has been trained for this. Um, we've had to get up to speed on a lot of different things. We have our own internal stuff. Jan, you know, you talked about that we're dealing with in terms of our own where we are. And all of a sudden, everybody's looking to the pastor saying, what do we do now? Mm. Where before, <laughs> it wasn't always like that. That is going to have an interesting effect on church going forward, I think, in the world. The role that we have as pastoral leaders instead of church managers. Yeah, which I think that that le- le- leans itself so much back to what Jan led us into, like that whole understanding of you don't have values, like a strong value system as a leader. Um, yeah, you're you're going to snap. Uh, it's not going to be. Um, and so we have that tension that we just need in, in our lives right now to to push ourselves deeper. And so, like, I realized that very early on as I like you just deal with bad news, bad news, bad news. And I, I hit a breaking point and, and I called, I used to have a spiritual director and I called that spiritual director and I said, I need to, I need to saddle back up. Uh, you know, we need to do this um, because I, I just know I'm starting to go back into management. I'm starting to, you know, I just take it day to day and, and, you know, she, she has just been a wonderful voice that of, she knows my heart. She knows my work. She, she's a part of this, but she's nowhere near me physically. Like she lives on the other side of the coast and she's speaking such, such truth just to keep me, keep me rounded, grounded in Daniel, you're, you're operating out of feelings versus are you operating out of your core values? And I've just been like, so grateful for that in this season. That's such a huge, powerful phrase. Um, Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing Mm -hmm. that. 
You know, one of the churches, to get us back onto our values conversation, well, one one of the churches I worked with uh, in another conference, uh, when they defined their values, their aspirational values, they made posters and put a poster in every room of the church. Um, And the pastor noted to me that when the people in meetings and gatherings were turning to those posters to remind themselves, this is who we said we wanted to be, that was when he knew that they were getting it, that, that it was being embodied and embedded in the congregation. Um, And that's, you know, that's a lot of a communication strategy. So in the work that you're doing as uh, values-based leaders, how do you communicate the values within the life of the congregation? Well, Kim, I love the idea of um, having that visual reminder because we all need to be reminded if we're taking on a new uh, new habit, if we're exercising, then you know it takes four weeks for us to create a new habit. Um, so that's certainly helpful. I believe that values also should leak. Mm. By leaking is that, um, and and this is really top down. Is the values need to leak from me as the leader, and so um, staff will tease me because um, they'll say, "Do you ever have a conversation that we don't hear this?" <clears throat> and, and I unabashedly say, "Probably not," because it's such it's it's part of it's part of who I am, and so those values really need to leak from the leader in every conversation in every in every message, uh, just everywhere. They, in my behavior, it should leak. Because remember that people come to faith because they've seen someone in faith. Right. And so much, much like our faith stories, the values works the same way. And you used a wonderful example of, you know, going into the store and making that decision. Is it me first or is it the other first? Right. And, and that obedience calls us then to say it's it's the other first. So if, if you can start leaking your values as a leader and then get some early pioneers to start leaking those same values so that they become in their conversations, uh, then then it, you become known as the church that leaks with some pretty, pretty cool stuff. Um, so in any way, I think we have to use absolutely every medium that we have. Uh, to convey our values, but most importantly, I think it leaks the best out of our behavior. Was that that wasn't the church? We visited a church recently where they had all of their vision stuff posted inside the, their bathroom stalls. Oh no, that was a different church. <laughs> <laughs> and above the urinals and all, yeah. I thought, boy, you're not getting away from this value system or vision statement anywhere in this place. <laughs> yeah, the problem was they weren't living it. <laughs> <laughs> they were not living. Maybe they should have flushed it and tried over. <laughs> But I'm bummed. <laughs> She'll be here all week. So, Daniel, do you have any thoughts about communication? Uh, yeah. So, I would agree. Uh, so, we were very poignant, uh, very pointed on our words uh, that we chose. We tried to choose words that we don't often use on a regular basis. So, like for me, a word that I often use is expectancy. Um, I just use that. Like, are we expectant when we walk into worship? Um, so, we chose obedient anticipation instead of obedient expectancy. Because I think part of the fear that I have, that I have as a as a, an individual in this, um, but I also think that some of our church people have, is that we don't want to sound so corporate. 
to where it's like, hey, everybody, you know, uh, we are a community of hope, recognizing there's a place for all at Christ's table. And, and and we as a people believe that we are Christ-centered and we are growing into community, uh, growing into loving. It just becomes so monotonous and annoying and frustrating. <laughs> but the thing that I love about, you know, the gift of being preacher is that you get to preach these core values over and over again without using those words um, to where you talk about loving community. You talk about being rooted in prayer. You talk about it over and over. And my favorite thing as a pastor is as you, you know, and Jan talked about finding those pioneers in some of the ways that you find those pioneers is whenever you're sitting in a meeting or a Bible study and somebody all of a sudden uses the language you've been using and then you smack the table and you say, you get it. Um, and, and you like, you get all excited and they're like, I hate that. I just said that. Um, but yeah, like, and they just look defeated, but then you know that they bought into it and that they're hooked and that they're ready for it. Um, and it's, it's beautiful and it's awesome because, you know, we can talk about, uh, and Matt Lake in a conversation I had with him recently, he talked about like macro communication versus micro communication. And like the macro is the preaching, the teaching, the posters on the wall, all of that's macro. Um, and that's all good. The only way core values will become deeply embedded is uh, kind of, as Jan said, is like this leakage to where, you know, everybody is, is, is experiencing these core values and they're being communicated on a small, low level um, to where, you know, people are using that, that understanding of being rooted in prayer um, for themselves. And, and whenever uh, one of the stories that just came back to me during this time is uh, because we can't be together is there was a person in a family who's not connected to our church, who was just struggling so much with this, you know, social distancing and isolation. And, and a woman said, I did something I never thought I would do. I, I, I talked to my son and I just prayed with him, um, you know, and I just, and, and she goes, I don't know if I would have done that if you have not, and in her words, uh, beaten us over the head, that prayer is in, foundational to who we are as Christians and to who we are um, as the people of St. Paul's. And, and so she just, and she shared that. And, and it was like, for me, it was one of the, it was a joyous moment uh, because it was a terrible day that I heard that um, of just bad news. And so I was excited uh, just to have that glimmer, glimmer of joy. Um, so, wow. yes. That is an awesome story for us to end on. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it and just yes, goes to highlight. To be my pastor. Yeah. <laughs> it really highlights the importance of our value-based leadership. And so I just want to thank uh, Reverend Jan and Reverend Daniel for being with us today and for having this great opportunity to um, participate in a UMC podcast. Um, Ministry on the cutting edge when we mobilize and empower people to be spiritual transformational leaders. I'd like to remind you that we will have more podcasts coming. The next one is an opportunity for Kevin Witt and myself to talk with three other pastors about and lay leaders about um, how we mobilize new people into leadership so that they can be freed to lead. Awesome. And by the way, Daniel, you talk about the Joe Schmoes. I grew up next to them. They said hi. (laughs) Tell them hi back. I will do that. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here.